This podcast is for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to From Crime to Crime. Hey, dude. I'm still recovering. I'm, I'm not all <laughs> there. Yeah, I know. There. I'm not all there yet. And I was waiting for you to say something else, and you didn't, so I had to figure out what to say, and that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Um, I just wanted to apologize in advance to you if I snap at you in this episode. Uh, <laughs> this should be good. Why are you going? Why will you eventually snap at me? What? No, I won't eventually snap at you. I might snap at you. Well, I'm assuming I'm planning for the worst because I'm having caffeine withdrawals. I have like a raging caffeine headache, and I've had like almost zero caffeine today. So I'm gonna need to know more about that. <laughs> you really waited till we started this to tell me that. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's nothing like urgent or anything. I just, I had my normal coffee this morning. And then when I went to work, I didn't have time because I was running late. So I didn't stop and get a rock star. And then all day at work, it was hot. So I just drank water. And then when I got home from work, I was like, oh, you drink God. water? Yeah, I drink water all the time. Oh, yeah. Great. Usually it has coffee grounds in it, but. <laughs> <laughs> I, I should have seen that coming. I didn't, but I should have. No, but so when I got home, I realized like I've literally had like seven cups of coffee all day and they were all this morning before I went to work. (sighs) Only seven, man. You're not, and you're not talking about like actual measured out like seven cups. You're talking about like seven mugs, right? Well, (laughs) wouldn't that be seven cups of coffee? (laughs) Because that's not, (laughs) not the actual measurement of a cup. Not the ones I use either. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. So, wow. Well, anyway, I do have my iced coffee now that has five shots of espresso in it. So we'll be okay like halfway through this, but for the first part, I might be a little bitchy. Okay. (laughs) Okay, I'll deal with it. (laughs) This is ridiculous. I can't believe the amount of caffeine you consume. Today, I didn't consume hardly any caffeine today. That's what I'm telling you. You had seven mugs of coffee this morning. Yeah, but that's my normal, like, morning coffee. And that's absurd. That is too much coffee. But I didn't have any the rest of the whole day till till now. It's almost eight o'clock at night. Well, I'm not going to be able to go to bed with this splitting headache. Anybody else hearing this? <laughs> is it just me? Anybody else? Please feel free to chime in if you hear this. Well, there's no way I'm going to bed with this headache, so... I had to do something. <laughs> oh, my God. So, all right. Well, do your housekeeping stuff. Oh, that's right. Well, first and foremost, thank you to everybody who has ordered from our website. It's been a huge success, but it does cost a lot of money to keep it up. So we're going to take it down for a bit. So we have until the end of this month before we're going to take it down. So if you want your stuff, grab it now. Yep. At from crime to crime dot com. App from crime to crime.com. Uh, let's see. I guess we're going to shut it down Wednesday, May 31st. That's the last day of this month. So there you go. If you want to get something, get it now. We'll open it back up eventually, too, guys. But definitely. We're not definitely. just going to keep it open up all the time. That's wild. Plus, we have to like maintain it and do all the order tracking and all that kind of stuff. And it just takes away from the actual podcast part of this. So <laughs> the reason why you guys showed up in the first place. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of that, let's get into this episode. Whenever you say it like that, I always think of the Mulan thing like, let's get down to business. Just me, I guess. I don't know what that is. So Mulan? You don't know Mulan? Uh Uh-uh. Okay. Is it a cartoon? Yeah. It's a Disney movie cartoon about this woman in China who becomes a great warrior. Oh, is that the one that Christina Aguilera did the song? Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, I never saw it. Okay. Sorry. What were, sorry. You, what were you doing? That was like 98. That know. was like peak time for Mulan. You were like 10, 11, 9, something like that. Like, what were you doing? Uh, who knows? I don't know. Watching Mary Poppins, probably. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably more accurate. Yeah, I don't know. So, All right, let's start this. Nobody cares what, about what we have to say. So in today's episode, we're going to be talking about my neck of the woods. Vegas? Yeah, Henderson, actually. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yep. Might know where some of this stuff happens. Yeah, well, I know where all this stuff happens because it's Utah and Nevada. You're very familiar with both. Yep. So we're going to be talking about Stephen Kocher, who went missing in 2009. It's been a little bit. Yeah, 14 years. So 14 years ago, what was the number one song on the country hot charts (laughs) list? 
Do you want to guess or you want me to tell you? I'll guess. I'll guess. 2009. You only get three guesses and then I'm cutting okay. this shit. Something by Luke Bryan. No. Okay. Um, something by Jason Aldean. No. Okay. Do you want me to give you a hint for your last guess? Yeah, give me a hint. It's a group, not a solo artist. It's a group. And they've changed their name recently. Oh, the Dixie Chicks. Nope. Oh, man. <laughs> that was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, no. It was Lady Antebellum. <laughs> Don't care. Never would have guessed it. I know. <laughs> That's why I let you guess, because I knew you wouldn't know it. Oh, God. I haven't even thought about Lady Antebellum since probably 2009, so. Yeah, I know. So Stephen Kocher was born in Amarillo, Texas. His parents, Rolf and Deanne Kocher, would eventually move their large family to Bountiful, Utah. If your name's Rolf, I automatically assume you have a lot of money and a lot of kids. Yeah. I don't know about his financial status, but he does have quite a few children. Yes. Stephen has a lot of brothers and sisters. Sounds like it. They are members of the LDS Church. That explains the kids. Yeah. And moving to Bountiful, Utah. That explains that, too. <laughs> yeah. So after high school, Stephen did his mission in Brazil. Feels like a cool place to do your mission, I would think. No, I would definitely think that, for sure. That sounds yeah. like a really cool one. Then he came home from his mission, and he attended BYU, Idaho, and then the University of Utah, where he got his degree in communications. His father, Rolf, was the editor for the Davis County Clipper, which was like the local newspaper. Kind of cool. Yeah, and Stephen was interested in following the same line of work as his dad. He had written a few articles for the Clipper, but he didn't really want to ride on his dad's coattails. Like, he wanted to make a name for himself. So he got a job in digital marketing at the Salt Lake Tribune. I absolutely would have ridden coattails had they been presented. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No doubt about it. Yep. He seemed to be okay with the job that he had at the Tribune. Like, he seemed to like the job itself, but he was working the overnight shift, and he did not love that. I don't love that for him. That's terrible. Yeah. He also didn't love the Salt Lake City winners because he was from Amarillo, Texas, and he's like, this is not, I don't, with the snow. No, thank you. Oh, the winters. I thought you said the winners, and I was like, is that like a minor league team or something? But okay, the winters. Yeah, I imagine Salt Lake City winters are just absolute garbage. I want nothing yeah. to do with that. Pretty cold. So by April of 2009, something had to give. He decided he wasn't getting any younger, and he wasn't having much luck finding the perfect job, let alone the perfect wife, which was extremely important to him, because he was pushing 30 and he wasn't married, which is kind of unusual Definitely a red flag. Yeah, and he hadn't really started his career, so he decided to move to St. George, Utah, which is like 300 miles south of Salt Lake. And besides Salt Lake, it's like the second most populated area of Utah. But the weather is way better. Like, it's much more mild. They hardly ever get snow, if ever. And when they do, it's like a dusting and it doesn't even stick. Wow. If you're going to be in Utah, that does seem like a place to be. Yeah. So Stephen rented a room, and he had a roommate named Jordan. Like, Stephen rented one room, Jordan rented another room, and the homeowners had the master bedroom, but they didn't live there full-time. They would come and stay there every once in a while, like when they were in town for something, but then they were not there a lot of the time. Stephen and Jordan didn't become BFFs, though. They didn't hate each other or anything like that, but Jordan smoked weed and he drank occasionally. And Stephen, being LDS, he didn't even drink coffee. Man, you could never have been a Mormon guy. No. That's the number one reason why I don't worry about my dad converting now that he lives in Utah. Because I'm like, <laughs> there's no way. If he can't have his scotch and his coffee, there's no way he's joining. <laughs> I love that that's reason number one, scotch and coffee. Oh, yeah. He'd be like, no. I'm good. Thanks. <laughs> Not to mention the gambling. Yep. Reno gambler. So Stephen did join his local singles ward in St. George, and he really connected there, and he enjoyed it. Do you know what wards are, Grant? Um, I mean, I'm guessing it's like a like a Bible study, you know? Yeah, it's Some, like it's like similar. his local parish, like his local church. That's probably not a super accurate description, but you belong to certain wards. And so he was, he belonged to a singles ward because he wasn't married yet. They should all be in the psych ward. That's, I'm just kidding, guys. Calm down. It's just a morning <laughs> joke. You can't say morning. <laughs> they like LDS. Oh, all right. It's just an LDS joke. 
So Stephen did briefly have a job when he first moved down there, but this was 2009 and the recession was hitting everyone super hard in every market. So about a month after moving, Stephen lost his job. What do you do again? Marketing? Yeah. Well, he worked for the Salt Lake Tribune up in Salt Lake. And then when he moved down to St. George, he got a job with some dot-com company, and I don't know what they do, but it was something with their website or digital marketing or something like that, but he lost that job after he moved to St. George, and he struggled really hard to get a new job, but it was tough. I mean, the economy was shit. Unemployment was through the roof. You know, there just wasn't jobs. Yeah, this is a a really bad time to have a job. This was like the height of the recession or... Yeah. He didn't give up, though. He grinded every day, filling out applications. He was so cute, too. He, like, photocopied every application he filled out so he could keep track of, like, where he had applied to and when and all that kind of stuff. Like, it was really—he was trying really hard. And he did work part-time passing out flyers for a window-washing company. But it was, like— 50 bucks, 100 bucks here and there. It wasn't like a real job. He would like pass out flyers for this company. And then when they were busy, he would help them actually do the window washing jobs. But then when they weren't busy, he would just pass out flyers. Well, at least they kept him moving. Yeah. So about six months after moving down there, he was three months behind on rent. And his roommate Jordan had moved out. I've read some things that he moved out because he moved out of state. And then I read other things saying that he moved out because... Stephen wasn't really holding up his half of the bills. That probably is a little more accurate, it sounds like. Yeah, but either way, he was living alone in this house, and he was three months behind on his rent. His landlord, Brett Bishop, decided to call Rolf, Stephen's dad, on December 9th, 2009, and let him know how behind Stephen was on the rent. Because he said that he hadn't heard from Stephen, and he'd been trying to get a hold of him, and he couldn't, so he called his dad. Okay, that makes a little bit more sense. I thought he was just like, he won't pay, so I'm going to call his dad. Like, hasn't heard from him. (laughs) Fair. Okay. Well, and I don't know if his dad was like second on the lease or maybe listed as a reference or something. I don't know. At least an emergency contact, it sounds like. Yeah, something. So his dad called him and offered to give him the money so that he could get caught up on the rent. He's like, dude, let me help you. Like, you're not working. You're trying really hard. Let me help you. But Stephen got kind of like offended. By this and got pretty upset and told him that he would handle it and hung up on him. Wow. That's aggressive. Most people would say thank you. I know. I know. Whew. Okay. So, yeah. So he texted his dad the next day and kind of apologized and was like, I'm okay. I'm sorry. You know, but he still told him, like, I've got to handle that. I don't need your money. Like he wanted to do it on his own. That same day on December 10th, he talked to his mom on the phone about his plans for coming home for Christmas. She was like, well, what day are you coming home? You know, they were just trying to work out their plans for Christmas. And he told her he would be there by the 23rd of December. Okay. Just in time for the big stuff. Yep. So she said that he sounded totally normal and upbeat on this phone call. But she decided to transfer him money anyways to help him with his rent. But he would never end up touching the money that she sent. And his grandma even gave him a check, too, back in October to help him out because she knew he was struggling and he'd never cashed that either. Huh. Do we know what day in December? She wrote the check in October. Oh, in October. Oh, wow. Yeah, did I say December? I'm sorry. I thought so, but maybe I heard wrong. Yeah, no, I might have said it wrong. I haven't had any coffee today. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, so he didn't want help from his family is obvious at this point. And he talked to his sister that day, too, on the phone, which was a Thursday, the 10th. And she also said that he sounded normal and that he didn't mention anything was wrong. He didn't mention any plans of a road trip or anything like out of the ordinary for him, which is super weird because he was currently on a road trip. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Well, we find out later that he had left sometime late on the night of the 9th or early the morning on the 10th because at 6 45 a.m he stopped for gas in salt lake city which is 300 miles north of where he lives in saint george it's like a four and a half hour drive so to stop for gas in salt lake at 6 45 a.m he at the latest left his house at like 2 a.m okay and he didn't tell any of his family that he was in salt lake which is not that far from where they live 
So huh. after he got gas at 645 in the morning in Salt Lake, then he got on 80 and headed west. And he gassed up again in West Wendover, Nevada, which is only like an hour and 45 minutes from Salt Lake City. So he really probably shouldn't have needed gas already. Like, yeah. That's not a very far drive. But then he showed up at a ranch owned by an ex-girlfriend's family at 11 a.m. And this ranch is in Ruby Valley, which is only like three and a half hours from Salt Lake City, but it took him five and a half hours to get there from when he gassed up in Salt Lake City. But maybe he stopped and took a little cat nap or something because he'd been up since two in the morning driving. I don't know. I guess that makes sense. I'd probably just push through, but... Yeah, so this ranch was owned by the family of a girl that he kind of briefly dated, and they let him know that she wasn't home, but they invited him in for lunch anyways, because they were like, oh, we haven't seen you in forever, come on in. So he told them that he was on his way to Sacramento to visit family, and thought he would stop by and say hi, since their ranch was on the way. He also told them that after driving as far as he had... He wasn't sure he was going to continue with his drive to Sacramento because of the bad weather through the mountains. Because this was December. The real weird part, though, is that he didn't have any family in Sacramento to go visit. I did not see that coming. Yeah. So there was no point in this. <laughs> like, there was no reason he should have been there. Yeah. Well, that's... Okay. I'm, I'm just trying to work all this out in my head. Like, there's no <laughs> reason for him to be there. No. So when he leaves their ranch... His debit card transactions show that he not only didn't go to Sacramento, but he went straight back to Utah. He made a stop in Salt Lake City, and then he headed straight south back towards St. George, and he made a stop in Springville and in Nephi. Uh, are both those in Utah? Yes. Okay. And they're both on the way from Salt Lake City to St. George. Okay. So he got back to St. George late, late, late that night, and in total... He had driven 1,100 miles in less than 24 hours. What? Yo, this, nothing. this guy was on some drugs, for sure. But he's not a drug addict. Not Well, not that we know about. He went to Sacramento to pick up. He got some drugs. He got some coke, for sure. No doubt. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, unlikely, but... You think so? But yeah, this... Like, why else is he going? To be on... To catch a predator? I don't know. No. No, because he wasn't like that either. I mean, this guy was like straight laced. That people th thought they knew of him. But okay, right. let's keep yeah. going. I, I think he might have been up to some, some drugs. But <laughs> Okay. So the next day on the 11th, which was a Friday, he handed out flyers for the window company just like normal. He also took a meeting with the bishop at his ward who promised to help him find a job by January. This is all over the place. Yeah. Yeah, but that's pretty normal in Right, that's LDS normal church. for him. Yeah, it's normal for him, definitely. Yeah. But it's not normal for a drug addict. And I yeah, definitely think he was trying to get a score. he's not a drug addict, baby. No, he's not. Okay, all right. I mean, make your decision at the end, but don't judge this kid. He's like a real good kid. Like he's like the real deal good kid? Yeah. Okay, I'll lay off of him. Yeah, so, so the bishop said this is normal. Like a lot of times he counsels people about getting jobs and different things. And he said that Steven sounded normal. Like there was nothing out of the ordinary. He was upbeat. He was bummed that he couldn't find a job, but he was like upbeat about everything else. Isn't it kind of weird for pe people in the LDS church to not find jobs? Because well, I mean, I guess it's a recession, the economy. but they all take care of themselves, right? I don't know. Well, that's why I was saying it's normal to go to the church when you need a job because other church members who own businesses and have jobs to give, they'd rather give them to a member of their church than just some random Yahoo off the street. Yeah. So it is, but at the same time, the economy was so bad. I mean, everybody was struggling. It's not like there was tons of jobs to be had and his church was like withholding them from him. Yeah. So on December 12th, Stephen takes another seemingly random road trip. So Saturday, his cell phone pings off a tower in Overton, Nevada, which is the exact opposite direction that he went on Thursday. It is south and east of his house instead of north and west. So Overton, Nevada is like the, the north end of Lake Mead. You know how Lake Mead is by Vegas, like where I live? Yeah. But it's huge, and the north end of it is way up by like where Arizona, Nevada, and Utah come together. And that's where his cell phone pinged on Saturday. 
Interesting. Okay. So maybe he's just trying to see some stuff real quick? Could be. Then eight hours later, his debit card is used to get gas in Mesquite, Nevada, which is like halfway back to St. George from Overton. So... Mesquite is like right at the base of the Virgin River Gorge, which is where Nevada, Arizona, and Utah all come together. And St. George is at the top of the Virgin River Gorge. So it's really not that far from his house. It's only so like another 40 minutes to his house. How does he go south and east from Utah, though, to Nevada? Because Utah is all east of Nevada. So he wouldn't get to Nevada going east. Oh, you're right. Yeah, I was trying to like work that out, but like you're right. I'm sorry. I said southeast, but it's it's kind of more southwest. Sorry. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. I I've been stuck on that because I was like, how does sorry. he do that? That everything in Utah is east. Damn, I really shouldn't do this whole podcast thing without coffee. Man, I didn't know it was going to make such a big difference, but I know. I'm usually really good with my directions, too, and I know this area super well. I know. I'm probably going to have to cut all this out anyways because nobody else cares about this area. Like, I'm over-explaining where this – nobody else knows what it is or where it is. That's okay. I'm I'm over-explaining it it all. Well, better too much than too little. Yeah. That's what I rarely say. Yeah. So so he gets gas in Mesquite, Nevada, and then by 8 p.m. he was back in St. George buying Christmas gifts for his brother's new baby. He bought like a bib and some Christmas ornaments. And then a neighbor said Stephen's car was parked out in front of his house by 10 p.m. that night. But the neighbor doesn't know if the car was there all night or if it was just there when he saw it at 10 p.m. Like he doesn't know if it left again. He can't vouch for that. Okay. Okay. So either way, he's home by 10 p.m. on Saturday night. Or at least his car is. Yeah. I mean, that's true. Technically, we don't know for sure. So the next time Stephen's location is known for sure was around 8 a.m. the next day, which is Sunday the 13th. The president of Stephen's church called him to let him know that he was on his way back to St. George from Vegas, but didn't know if he was going to make it in time for the 11 a.m. meeting or church service. I don't know if they, some things called it a meeting and some things called it service. So I'm not sure, whatever. He had something going on at 11 a.m. at church. And this guy wasn't sure he was going to make it back to St. George by 11, even though it was only 8 a.m. and it's only a two-hour drive. You lose an hour going from Vegas to Utah. Sure. So he was calling to ask Stephen if he could cover for him if he doesn't make it in time. And Stephen was like, I mean, kind of, but I'm also in Vegas, so I'd have to head back and I don't know if I'll make it. And he was like, oh, well, then never mind. If we're both down in Vegas, then... I'm already headed back, so I'm going to beat you either way, so don't worry about it. And they hung up. Then he got another call at almost 10 a.m. asking some kind of question, which would have been right before whatever it was at 11 that he was supposed to do at church because of the time difference. Another member of the church called him to ask him something about that service, and Stephen informed him that he was in Las Vegas. And so the guy was like, oh, never mind. And like both of these dudes that talked to him said that they didn't notice anything suspicious suspect in his voice or anything except that he didn't say why he was in Vegas and he didn't say why he was going to be missing church which was very unusual for him like if he was going to be missing church it was because he was going home to visit his family or something like they would have known prior to him missing church or partying in Vegas yeah yeah maybe I know it does seem like oh I'm headed to Vegas and I'm headed back from Vegas and stuff like that. But it is only a two hour drive from St. George. And there are a lot of things in Vegas that aren't available in St. George. Like, I don't know. Now they have a Costco and stuff. But even like a long time ago, they didn't have a Costco. And so everybody drove from St. George to Vegas to go to Costco. (laughs) I would never do that. The length that people go for crazy stuff like that blows my mind. Yeah, well, you also don't have eight kids that you're trying to feed and house and buy toilet paper for. And, like, it makes sense to go to Costco when you have nine children. I guess if I had nine kids, I would drive that far to get a break to go to Costco. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. They have a Costco in St. George now, so, and I don't know when it was built. But I'm I'm not saying Costco, I'm just using that as, like, a, you know, like, there's certain things here that we have that they don't have. So people come to Vegas a lot, even just for shows and concerts. That's true. I, I forget that people do that. 
I yeah. again, I go to see you, and that's about it. I would never go to Nevada. If, if you didn't live in Nevada, I would never be in Nevada. But that's because you live somewhere where you have all the things that we have here. I just don't want to pay for Vegas, but but a I see lot what of the saying. rural communities around here don't have all the amenities that we have. One hundred percent. Like even even in like Havasu and stuff, people who live in Havasu, it's also a two hour drive, but they come to Vegas for the mall and the airport and, you know, because they don't have that stuff there. I I get what you're saying. I just I guess I would never live where I didn't have that stuff because I would never never drive that far to get anything. I would just try to do it myself. Yeah. So back to the story. It was unusual for him to miss church without like letting them know. So that was the only thing that they said was suspect about that phone call at all was that he didn't mention why he was in Vegas. And that was Sunday morning at like 10 ish o'clock in the morning. And that was the last time anybody heard from Stephen Kocher. That's it? That's the last time? And that's how he disappeared? Yeah. I mean, we learn a little bit more about the shit that happened after he disappeared, but that's the last time anybody spoke with him. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So on December 17th, which is Thursday, like four days after anybody had heard from him, Stephen's mom, Deanne, gets a voicemail from an HOA in Henderson, Nevada. That's an interesting place to get an HOA phone call from for somebody you don't know that lives in Henderson, Nevada. (laughs) Yeah. So this homeowner association is in charge of the parking enforcement for an area called Sun City Anthem, which is like a retirement community. It's like a 55 and older community in Henderson. Everything I've ever seen on this case or listened to or read about says that it's an extremely upscale, affluent retirement community. Okay. And it is a nice neighborhood, but it's not gated or anything. It's like a normal neighborhood with like three bedroom, two bathroom stucco houses. Just all blends in. Gotcha. Okay. You have an HOA too, which I highly disagree with. So Every neighborhood here has an HOA. Which I highly disagree with. Yeah, so did I when I moved here because I was used to California HOAs where it's like, oh my God, you don't want to be in that. You know, they're Nazis pretty much. But that's not how it is here. Here, the HOAs literally... Just make it to where your neighbors don't park boats in their front lawns. Like, that's it. They don't tell you what to do. They don't send you nasty letters. They don't get on you about the parking. Although this neighborhood did because we'll find out what happened here. Okay. (laughs) But they had a reason, though. So the voicemail said that Stephen's Chevy Cavalier had been abandoned in a cul-de-sac in this neighborhood for a few days. But even like this, this HOA, they didn't just call and have it towed. They looked in the windows to try to see if they could tell, like, whose car it was or what was going on. And they saw the flyers from the window company that Stephen worked for. And so they got the number off the flyer and they called them. The window company gave them Stephen's cell phone number. And they'd been calling for a few days and leaving him voicemails, but no answer. So that's when somehow they tracked down his mom's phone number and they called her. So they never even had his car towed and it had been abandoned there for like four days. Wow. And they tracked down his mom's cell phone number. That's why I'm saying HOAs here are not like California. <laughs> yeah. That car would have been an impound by Monday if that was California. Ugh, I hate HOAs. So immediately she tried to call Steven to find out why his car's parked in some random cul-de-sac in Henderson and no answer. So she calls their family and his friends, and they put it together that nobody had seen or heard from him since Sunday morning, which is very worrisome for them because they're all very close. Like, if he didn't talk to his mom that day, he talked to his dad or his sister or his brothers or something. You know what I mean? Big family. There's always somebody who got something going on to talk to about. Yeah, so when they put it all together that nobody had heard from him since Sunday morning, they called the St. George Police Department, which is where he lives in Utah, And they filed a missing persons report. Their dad, Rolf, and Stephen's brothers got in the car and headed down to Stephen's place in St. George. Because it's on the way to Henderson anyway. So they're like, let's stop at his place in St. George, see if there's any clues there to where he is, or see if he's there. And then we'll go on to Henderson to see what's going on with the car. So when they get to his place, it looked like he planned to come right back. Like, it was neat and tidy. There was food in the fridge. His cell phone was charger was still plugged into the wall like it looked like he was gonna come back any minute do we think that he met somebody online 
And that's why he was going to these different places to meet up with them? Well, his computer and emails didn't show any reason that he should have been at any of these places. Okay. Like, there was nothing in his email or his computer. Just endless job applications. But I will say... There is no internet at his house. I mean, this is 2009, and he was renting a room. So he used to have to go to the public library to use the internet. Oh, I remember those days. Yeah, so if he would have used a public library computer to interact with somebody, then maybe. But they have no way of tracking that in 2009. But wouldn't his email, well, I guess if it was through email, but if he was like on an actual like Plenty of Fish website... Then there was no way to track that. If he was yeah. at the library when he did it, there would have been no way to track that. Okay. So Rolf and Steven's brothers then went on to Henderson to check out his car because there was nothing wrong at the apartment. So they're like, all right, well, let's go figure out what's going on with the car. And when they got to this neighborhood in Henderson, they got in the car and they started it. There was nothing wrong with it. It started right up. It had a half a tank of gas. There was nothing wrong with it. It's not like he broke down in that cul-de-sac and then hitchhiked or something yeah he went there for a reason yes in the car there was flyers for the window company the christmas gifts that he had bought for his brother's kid the trunk was full of copies of all the applications that he had been putting in there was a shaving kit and a pillow and blanket in the car oh that's a little interesting yeah and according to a private investigator that the family hired that then did a podcast about this case. He also says that there was a frozen lasagna in the car. Like like an empty container of frozen lasagna? No, no, no. Nope. Like a frozen lasagna. Family style? Like family size or like small? I don't know. They didn't uh. specify. But it's like he was obviously planning on coming right back. He wasn't planning on leaving his car there for four days. You don't leave frozen food in your car if you're, if you're planning on not coming back for four days. No, certainly not. Way. No. Yeah. So Stephen, his cell phone, and his wallet were the only, like, for sure items that weren't in the car. So when the investigators checked later, there was no activity on his debit card after Saturday afternoon. Or and Saturday what was that night. activity? That was when he was in Mesquite and he got oh, gas right. before he went home and then he got the, his brother's kid's Christmas gifts at Kmart. That was the last activity on his debit card. Okay. So there was nothing from Sunday all the way up until now is Thursday. So they checked surveillance video from the neighborhood. Like they tried to see if anybody had surveillance cameras. And there actually was a camera that caught Stephen's car driving up to the cul-de-sac on Savannah Springs at 11.54 a.m. He parked and then at 12 o'clock noon, another camera shows him walk around the corner from Savannah Springs onto Evening Lights Street. Did you drive this? Did you go over there and check it out? Yeah, I've been there before, yeah. That's why I'm telling you, it's not like some like crazy affluent neighborhood. Like, it's a very nice neighborhood. Don't get me wrong. But it's not like some, I don't know, whenever I see like documentaries about this or anything, the disappeared episode, everybody's like, oh, it's a really high end retirement community. Like he had no reason to be there. It's like, it's a regular neighborhood. Not even like a retirement one? It is. It's a 55 and older, but they're not that strict. And I'll we'll find out why, because there was people living in there that were not 55 and older. <laughs> okay, great. So these cameras, between the two cameras, they caught him driving up at 11.54, and then another camera caught him walking six minutes later around the corner from where he parked onto Evening Light Street. Is that the last time we saw him? Yes. And the camera is super blurry and kind of far away, but the coachers believe it's Steven. Like, based on the way he's walking and, you know, the image, even though it's grainy, they think it's him. Well, his car, <laughs> you know, so... Yeah, I mean, they have every reason to think it's him. It Can it be proven that it's him? Probably not, but it looks like him. And he seemed to be wearing a white shirt and holding something in his hand, like close to his chest, maybe a folder or a manila envelope. And that is the last sighting of Stephen, ever. He's never seen walk, walking back to his car or anywhere else in the neighborhood. Okay. Yep. So he was obviously going there for a reason. He had something in his hand. He parked at 11.54 and then didn't get out of his car until noon. Like, he was waiting for that time distinction, obviously. Yeah. But for what? Like, why would he have gone there with something in his hands? And obviously, we don't know what was in his hands. And you don't see him go into any specific house either. No. Well, 
No, you don't. But there has been enhanced camera footage that shows the reflection from the window of a car that was parked on the street. And it does appear that he crosses the street and it looks like he could possibly go up to a specific house. And we'll get into that in the theories. But it's not 100%. Okay. So the authorities didn't really take his missing persons as a crime because it's Henderson and Vegas. And, <laughs> and they got way bigger fish to fry. Well, that's just kind of how they roll. They're just like, oh, yeah, we're real good at this. Like, we deal with a zillion missing persons every day. So we got this handled. And it's like, do you, though? Because you say that you're good at it and you should be good at it with how many you deal with. But they just do the whole, like, well, they're just blowing off steam in Vegas and they don't want to tell their family where they are because they lost all their money. They'll show up. And that works like 90% of the time for the people that are doing that. But then when that isn't what it is, they just fucked off the whole thing. They're just like, oh, well, we fucked up and we didn't investigate it when we should have. So sorry. Do that many people will just run to Vegas for yeah. a good time? Mm-hmm. Really? And then they get drunk and then they cheat on their spouses and then their spouses call and file a missing persons report because they haven't heard from them and then they show up later that day. It does happen. Oh, yes. wow. Sin City, baby. Yeah, but... There also are a lot of people who actually go missing in Vegas, whether it's being abducted for sex trafficking or they witness a crime or they're involved in a crime or whatever. There's a lot of people who actually go missing and you think they would get better at those. But no, they're just like, ah, that's bad for business. So let's not talk about that. Fair. Yeah. And in their defense, because I don't want to bag on them. Like, totally, although I do kind of want to bag on him. But in their defense, he is a grown adult. Like, if he wants to go missing and doesn't want to tell his family where he is or what he's doing, which is obviously what was going on, because he didn't tell them where he was or what he was doing for the four days before he went missing, he has every right to do that. He's 30 years old. Like, yeah. he doesn't have to tell his family where he is. Definitely. But... It's very unlike him to not be in contact. Even when he wasn't telling his family what he was doing, he was still in contact with them. So they know something's wrong. I can't wait to get to theory land. And in Steven's case, obviously something's really wrong because he's been missing for 14 years and he never just showed back up. And in that 14 years since he went missing, his dad passed away unexpectedly. So if he was just fucking around or living his life somewhere or whatever, you think like his dad passing away, he would come home. Maybe he did in, in a disguise. No, he didn't. Oh, okay. The only other like really tidbits that they found is, I mean, there's been a lot and you could go down some deep rabbit holes, but... His phone did ping a few times the Sunday he went missing, like four and a half hours after he went missing. It pinged off a tower at American Pacific in Arroyo Grande, like 10 miles from Sun City Anthem where his car was left. Then like two hours after that, it pinged off a tower in Whitney Ranch, which is just even a little bit farther north from that. And then the next morning, so Monday morning around 6 a.m., his phone was used and that pinged off a tower at the 515 in Russell. Oh, wow. And this has always been reported that it was used to check his voicemail. But then more recently, a bunch of police records came out. They did like a data dump in 2020. And now there's rumors because the number is redacted that it was used to call a number in Idaho, not his voicemail. So I don't know. But the phone stayed in that location for two days and then presumably went dead. And the only thing interesting about that is that tower off the 515 in Russell is pretty close, like I would say within a mile of the dump. Oh, okay. You know where all of our trash goes here in Vegas? And then it's a transfer station, so the trash all goes there for like however long. I don't know how long it takes them to put it on other trucks. And then it gets like trucked out to wherever they take it. I don't know where they take it. Probably the middle of the desert. Yeah, probably. That tower, to me, like if his phone was in the trash at the dump, it seems like that would be... I don't know if there's closer towers, though, or not. I don't know. That thought hit me immediately when it was like it stayed in that same location for two days and then went dead. It's like, ooh, I wonder if it was in a trash can. Like, I wonder if it was in a dumpster and then got... wonder if he was in a trash can or a dumpster. Yeah, I don't know. The only thing, though, is that's not a dump. Like, it's not like how... In some places, you, like, take your shit to the dump and you put it there and then they, like, bury it and cover it and all that stuff. Like, it's only – you do do that, but it's a transfer station. Like, they take everything that you dump there and they put it on other trucks and take it to the dump. Yeah, that makes sense. 
I mean, I could see them not seeing a cell phone or not caring about a cell phone, but I don't see them not seeing a body. Yeah. Stephen's family organized searches of the desert, like a lot of them, and they had a lot of volunteers, but no trace of Stephen has ever been found. They held out hope that he would come home for Christmas because he had told his mom that he'd be home by the 23rd, but he didn't. And he had put their Christmas lights on a tree out in front of their house when he was home for Thanksgiving. And they said they were going to leave those lights on until they found Stephen. And they did until they burned out a couple of years after he disappeared. Wow. Yeah. There's nothing after that. That's crazy. No, there was a lot of tips and sightings of Stephen that have been called in. Yeah, but we know how those go. Yeah. Yeah. I saw a homeless guy at IHOP that looked like him, but... And the family went to that IHOP and they sat there for four days and they never saw him. So none of those tips have ever turned out to be him. So now we get into theory land. Theory land! It's my favorite land. <laughs> all right, here we go. So I've been holding some of this back. So, yeah. <clears throat> all right. So here's theory number one I've come up with. I think okay. that the window company was expanding and he and the window guy sent him out to Vegas to put flyers down, but really he set him up with some kind of bad person and they, they took advantage of him or he was going door to door to knock on some doors with those flyers still for Vegas. And maybe, you know, he ran into somebody who could use some help and they ended up doing something to him. So that's two. I think that okay. he might well, stop going too, so I can debunk your theories before you keep going. I don't want you to debunk him. Yeah, but you can't just like list off a hundred theories and then not let me argue them. Well, that was that was completely my plan. That way you couldn't argue them and I could just have them. No. <sighs> I hate when there's rules. It's theory land. It's lawless. So the window company only operated in St. George and Washington County in Utah. So they didn't operate in Nevada. The owner wouldn't have any reason that Stephen would be handing out flyers. And they canvassed the neighborhood and nobody in the neighborhood said that they got a flyer for that window company. Well, yeah, because that was his first stop. That was the first one. He stopped there, got out, and the first one, either the window guy set him up or... Yeah, but the flyers were still in his car. So. But, but he also had a, a manila envelope with more flyers in it. Just move yourself on because I'm going to tell you what happened at the end. And then you're going to be like, oh, shit, that window thing was a dumb idea. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I still so think just maybe... move on but, to your okay. next one. I've debunked it. <laughs> I think he was meeting people on the internet. You know, if he wasn't out there going to get drugs and stuff, I think he was meeting people on the internet. I think he was doing it outside of, you know, where he was living because I don't think yeah. he was really very interested in being Mormon. I think that's what his family wanted for him, but I don't think he was super interested in it. So when he had a hard time See, getting on his feet or finding a wife, he was like, oh man, what's that? What else is out there? Went on Plenty of Fish or Bumble or OK Cupid and found some people and was willing to make these drives that he could do in 24 hours without anybody really missing him. See, and I kind of thought that at first, too, that it may have been something like that. But then everything I read says that he was, like, more involved in his church than his family was. Like, when he moved to St. George, he got even more involved in his church. And he actually had dated women that he broke up with because they weren't as involved in the church as he thought they that his wife should be. This guy's gay, hundred percent. He's gay, one hundred percent. Yeah, it's I think he's gay. Theory. Dating dating dudes didn't like any of this, and <laughs> either maybe he changed his identity or maybe he was killed. But yeah, he might have been dating dudes. <laughs> That's a theory. I mean, that is a theory that people have, but I don't know. Is that unacceptable in the LDS church? I'm Absolutely. Sure. I oh, man. No, I think they're fine with... Not in 2009, they were not. Oh, yeah, maybe not. And leading yeah. up to that, they definitely were not. I thought they were fine with it now. But him being gay is a big theory. A lot of people have that. But my my issue with that is... Why are these two road trips the only two? It's not like, I mean, they looked back at his history of his cell phone pings and his debit card transactions, and he had never done any of this before. It just takes one. Oh, I know. But like he did three in four days, right? Yeah. Like he did that weird thing to his ex-girlfriend's ranch, that weird 1,100-mile road trip. Then on Saturday, he did the one to Overton, and then now he's in Henderson on Sunday. And it's like he had never done that before. So it, it feels like if that's the first time you've ever done something, you think you're going to do them three days in a row, like boom, 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 boom. 
I feel like I'd do it once and then be like, ooh, that was fun, and like let it linger for a while. <laughs> yeah. That I mean, that's the only thing because I think so too. But who knows? Maybe he was talking to multiple people. He was broke as fuck. That's true. Yeah. He was had no money. So how was he going on these road trips? Well, he that's... was making a little bit of money doing this window stuff. Yeah. So but not enough to be driving 13, 1,500 miles in a couple of days. Like that's why a lot. not? All it is is some gas that you don't really yeah, need do much you know else. How expensive gas was in two thousand and nine. No, I don't remember that. But yeah, it was still, the he's worst. making a little bit of money. You know, maybe he's just making a little bit of money to go out there and find find a little fun. People who have nothing are willing to spend their money faster than people who have more money. If you have very know. little, it's what the hell's the ma- what the hell's the point of this? I don't have very much anyway. People who have a okay. lot don't want to lose it. Yeah. Do you have any more theories or do you want me to tell you the real theories? I think one of them might be aliens. No. <laughs> No. Okay. That's funny though. <laughs> but no. Okay. I haven't heard aliens at all. So like this is like one of the only missing persons cases that I have not heard the aliens theory. <laughs> all right, we got to wrap this up because this is already over an hour and it's getting really hot in my closet. So do you want me to tell <laughs> okay. you the real theories or yeah, no, do you absolutely. want to keep going with your bananas theories? No, tell me your real theories now. Okay, so he ran away. Walked away from his life is a pretty big theory. Yeah, I thought of that one, too. It's too obvious. Yeah. It's too obvious, and he didn't take anything with him. He left a frozen lasagna in his car. What was the point of that, you know? Like, he left money in his bank accounts that his parents had transferred him that he hadn't used. Like, if you were going to walk away and start a new life, like, you would at least just take that money. Yeah, I give you that for sure. So another big theory was that he committed suicide. Okay, I thought about that, too. But mm-hmm. where? Like, did he go to Dr. Kevorkian's yeah. house and, you know, get it done or what? Well, that's the thing. He walked into a neighborhood. It's not like he walked out in the middle of the desert and or off on some nature trail or something. Like, he walked into a neighborhood. S- yeah. Seems like a, yeah. Yeah, not the best place to kill yourself. And if he was going to do that, a lot of people reference, like, certain things as why he wouldn't like why would he have bought christmas gifts and groceries and why would he seem so upbeat although there is a big argument that a lot of times people who commit suicide are content with their decision and they do seem happier right before they do it oh okay i don't know it just logistically i mean i don't know about his mindset he did seem to be pretty down that he hadn't found a wife or a job but in other aspects he seemed really involved in his church and totally positive it could have been so, he liked being mormon too maybe he liked it but maybe he was in a situation that the church wouldn't have agreed with yeah i don't know i just logistically i disagree with the suicide theory because it's like it doesn't seem like the place like you said he would he go into some random person's house and commit suicide like how well that's what i mean like that's kind of a strange yeah. strange thing yeah so another theory is that he ran away with susan powell which is stupid Who's Susan Powell? She's a woman who went missing from Utah a week before Stephen did. Oh, interesting. Probably not, but that's interesting. No, it's definitely not because her husband, Josh Powell, 99% sure, allegedly killed her and took his two boys with him to go, you know, deal with whatever he did with her body, which they still haven't found. And then he got his boys taken away because he was like number one suspect in his wife's disappearance. And then he had like supervised visits with his kids. And when the social worker showed up to his house with his kids on a visit, the kids ran in the front door in front of her and he slammed the door in her face. And then he killed both of his kids and himself. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So they're pretty sure that he probably killed his wife too, that she didn't run away with Stephen Kocher. Yeah. I was pretty positive that too, but I do like that theory. Yeah. Yeah. And then the last theory is foul play, which to me seems like the most likely theory. Yeah. Was that he went to a house in that neighborhood for some unknown reason and something went wrong. Is there any reason to go to a neighborhood front that far away for anything positive? Well, I mean, like he could be meeting somebody that's positive, I guess, but like. No, but there is a theory that his landlord, Brett Bishop, the one that he was behind on his rent, uh-huh. has had a pretty significant past with prescription drugs and guns and stolen cars. <laughs> 
And his wife was posting on message boards after Stephen went missing that Brett and her had a plan to help Stephen get a job and get back on his feet and they weren't planning on kicking him out. Like she was trying to be nice like that they were looking for him. But she pretty much said like we had a plan to get him out of debt. So now a lot of people wonder if the plan was Stephen running errands for him to pay off his rent, his back rent. And that could be what the road trips were for. Oh, that has a, that is an interesting thing. Yeah, whether it was money or guns or drugs or whatever. There's a lot of people who don't think Stephen would have ever been involved in something like that. But then again, he was very, very adamant about trying to survive on his own. So Yeah, in desperate times. Yeah, it's possible he did something that he wasn't proud of. Hmm. And that's why he didn't tell his parents. That one probably is more likely. But I'll be honest, I like mine way more. Yeah, so... Either way, there's been no sign of him for 14 years, so. That's crazy. There's also been some speculation that there was a guy who lived in the first house on Evening Lights Street, the one that he turned on, the one that the reflection may have caught him walking up to the front door. Uh Uh-huh. That guy was the son of an elderly couple that lived in that house, and the elderly couple moved out of the house that day. Like, the moving trucks were there. They were moving that day. And the son, who was, like, 40, was still living in the casita, which is in the desert. We have casitas, which are, like, it's like a back house, but it's in the front of your house. Oh, okay. It's stupid. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so he was living in the casita at his, of his parents' house. And he's been known to have some, allegedly have some drug problems. And he continued to live in that casita after his parents' moved out of the house and then they ended up having to kick him out of the casita and then he like destroyed it and there's like a whole network of people on the internet who are trying to figure out if that guy is somehow connected to the landlord like maybe the delivery or whatever Stephen was bringing was to that guy because the cops tried to get a hold of that guy for like two months after Stephen's disappearance and they could never interview him and then when they did interview him he talked to them but he seemed real shady and nervous and they don't know if that was like a drug thing or if he knew something about Stephen's disappearance but he may or may not have been one of the only people under the age of like 70 that lived in that neighborhood wow Okay, so that could definitely be one of the things that happened, too. Yeah. If you want to know more about that theory, like, in depth, there's a deep dive podcast called Eyes of Justice, and it's the private investigators from Stephen Kocher's case, like, that the family has hired. And there's also a guy on YouTube named Aaron Stoner who has done, like, a crazy amount of work on this case. So check those two things out if you want to know more about that theory. I do, and I will. Yep. So, all right, buddy. Well, that's about it. Well, that was a lot. And if you want to get your From Crime to Crime merch, don't forget to go to FromCrimeToCrime.com and get what you can while it's still up because we're going to shut it down for a little bit, but you have until the end of this month. All right. Well, I love you. I will talk to you later. All right. I love you too. Bye. Bye. This podcast has been a production of Orange Halo Media, LLC, hosted by Grant and Erica. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. To chat with us, go to From Crime to Crime on Instagram, From Crime to Crime on TikTok, From Crime the Number Two Crime on Twitter, or you can visit our website at FromCrime2Crime.com. See you next Wednesday.